You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This is Brewers on Tap. Welcome to Brewers on Tap, episode number 46, as we continue along throughout the 2016 season. Lane Grindle with you, and if you have questions that you want to get answered or you want to give feedback to us, we'd love to get it. You can use the hashtag Brewers on Tap to get that straight to us, and then we'll try to answer your questions on the podcast over the course of the season. Okay, we have a lot to get to. We're going to get into what transpired over the course of the last week for the crew. Coming off of a road trip in Miami and, of course, Cincinnati before that, and a four-game homestand with the Padres before last night's contest against the Chicago Cubs. Two more with the Cubs, and then the crew goes back on the road as they'll go to New York, and then Atlanta coming home, then after that, getting ready for Memorial Day weekend. We'll take a look at the minor leagues over the course of this podcast. Been a big week plus in the minor leagues for the Brewers organization. And we're going to sit down, and this is kind of a special edition. You're going to hear this every month on this show. We're going to sit down with General Manager David Stearns. This is going to be a little bit longer form interview. We're going to get into a lot of different things, but we hope you'll enjoy it. We also have a video version of it as we began Brewers on Tap TV, and you can watch the David Stearns show with video as well uh, by going to Brewers.com and checking that out. But you're going to hear from the general manager coming up here on the podcast today. Plus, we'll have another edition of Sabermetrics 101, and we'll look at what's on tap. It's all coming up right here on Brewers on Tap. Well, a 3-3 three and three week for the crew since our last podcast. Tough loss to weigh in Chen and the Marlins on Wednesday night in Miami, followed by a 3 nothing loss to James Shields and the Padres at Miller Park on Thursday. On Friday, Junior Guerra got the victory for the crew against the Padres, pitching very well. And then Saturday's affair was a marathon that went into the 12th inning tied at 6 before the Padres got back-to-back home runs to take an 8-6 to lead. In the bottom of the 12th, though, Jonathan Lucroy tried to make it interesting. And the pitch. Lucroy sends one in the left center and deep. Get up! Get up! Get out of here and gone for Lucroy! Down by one now on Lucroy's long home run. That would be all for the Brewers, though, and they fell 8-7 to in 12 innings. Sunday was another low-scoring affair as Zach Davies got the ball against the Padres and pitched extremely well, and Jonathan Lucroy was up to those same old tricks. Lucroy waiting, here it is. Jonathan sends one to center and deep. Get up! Get up and way out of here and gone for Lucroy. And the Brewers have the lead. Chris Carter also broke out of a slump in the contest and went 3-for-4 with a double and a home run. The Brewers won and split the series with the Padres two games to two. 
An off day on Monday before Tuesday night's big division matchup with the Cubs, and Chase Anderson was stellar. Eight and two-thirds innings, just two runs allowed. He was seven innings into a no-hitter before finally giving up a hit in the eighth. Jonathan Lucroy homered again in the contest for his third consecutive day, and the crew won the first game of the series, 4-2. to two. Up next, two more with the Cubs before heading to New York for three with the Mets and on to Atlanta to take on the Braves after that. Okay, well, each month I'll be sitting down with Brewers General Manager David Stearns for Brewers on Tap TV, another part of what we're doing with Brewers.com, and hopefully you'll have a chance to tune that in at some point over the next week. But in case the podcast is where it's at for you, here is the audio of that conversation. Let's catch up with the crew. What has been your thought of the foundation that's being set here by yourself, your staff, and of course Craig Council and his staff on the field? What's what's encouraged me so much uh, really throughout my time here uh, and accelerated into spring training and into the season is the culture and energy uh, that we've been able to establish and maintain around our team. And um, Craig and his staff are, are a big part of that, being able to, to maintain a positive energy. Um, a healthy learning environment for our young players. And, and that was a priority for me coming in um, to establish that culture, uh, create that environment, and, and bring people in along with me um, who had that as, as a priority as well. How big was it for you, David, when you got in here to sit down with Craig and to get on the same page? That's a big part of it, obviously, and it seems like you guys are very connected. I, I, I think so, and that takes time. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know that that's something you can do over, over one conversation or or a month or even an off season. I think it's something that continually grows and the relationship evolves. Craig and I um, spend uh, spend as much time with each other as we probably do with our families. Yeah. Um, we, we talk to each other as much as we do with our families. And so it, it really does have to develop into that type of, of close relationship. And um, you know, a lot of those relationships are, are built through um, tough times and, and getting through adversity together. And so I certainly believe that, that Craig and I have the ability to do that. You were a big part of the Astros build to, of course, a playoff team a year ago. What did you learn through that experience and how are you implementing some of those same things here in Milwaukee? I, th- I think I learned a number of things through that experience. We went through um, some challenging times in Houston and, and ultimately uh, were able to build a young core that, that should allow them to, to be successful for a number of years. Um, certainly probably the, the largest lesson that I took away uh, was the need for consistent alignment um, from ownership through the general manager, through the coaching staff and the manager to, to make sure that everyone's on the same page and that uh, everyone buys into the philosophy and the plan. And uh, so far, I feel as though we have that here, and that's very encouraging. One thing we've seen on the field from the 2016 team is really good patience at the plate, drawing yep. more walks, getting on base at a high clip. How big of a priority was that for you when you came in? Taking quality at-bats is certainly a priority, and and patience is a part of that. Um, Being aggressive on the right pitch is also a part of that. When when you get your pitch that's that's in a zone where you can do damage, um, taking an aggressive swing at that. That's something that Darnell Coles and Jason Lane preach constantly to to our hitters. They've done a great job instilling that attitude and that approach, and and certainly the early dividends um, from from an approach perspective have paid off. We're just about a month out from the amateur draft in June, and I know that's probably taking up a lot of you and your staff's time right now. How much time per day is spent on that, and and how are you you working through the day-to-day duties involved with the amateur draft and also keeping your eye on this club right now and how they're doing? One one of the the things you learn very quickly in this job is that you can't do everything, and you need really good people um, to run your departments and, and 
and to lead the, the various uh, aspects of, of baseball operations and, and running an organization. So um, we've got a very dedicated and talented scouting staff um, that's doing a lot of work on the amateur draft. I've been fortunate enough to get out and see a number uh, of the players who, who will consider um, at the top of the draft. But, but at the end of the day, it's, it's the work that those guys are doing um, combined with all the different information sources that we have available to us in, in the front office um, that, that will lead us to a productive draft process. So um, I'm certainly involved. Um, you know, at, at the end of the day, um, everything that happens in baseball operations comes down under, uh, under my responsibility, and so I want to make sure I know what's going on, uh, and, and it's been a fun process to be a part of. I've gotten a chance to get to know Matt Arnold a little bit, and, and what, a, what a great resource for you to have as a guy that you can go through this with together that, that you can really lean on. I, I got to imagine having that friendship and that working relationship is tremendous for you. It, it's been a, an enormous benefit for me to have Matt here. You know, Matt comes with uh, a tremendous amount of experience from a couple of different organizations, most recently from the Tampa Bay Rays, and was very instrumental in a lot of the successes they've had there uh, over the last couple of years, really the last decade now. And so to be able to bring his expertise here, um, his support, his advice, uh, his thought process has been invaluable to me and, and, and been a huge benefit to the organization as a whole. How important, David, was it for you when you were looking at the 2016 team and beyond to incorporate some veterans with the younger guys? Because you have a guy in Chris Carter that's played a few years now that you're able to bring in, and, and he's flourishing here in Milwaukee. Uh, a guy like Aaron Hill that you were able to bring in that just goes about his business the right way on a daily basis, just a good example for younger players. And then, of course, you have guys that have been here a while, like Luke Roy and, and, of course, Ryan Braun, who's having just a tremendous season so far. How did you balance? We want to have some veterans to show these guys the way, but at the same time, we want to have a younger roster overall. It, it's certainly a balance, and um, you need to allow your younger players to play and to make mistakes and, and to not feel as though they're a bad game from being back on the bench. And so we need to give them that opportunity. And, and I think Craig has done a great job of, of giving them uh, that leash to make mistakes and still be in the lineup the next day. Um, at the same time, you do need a stabilizing presence on your team. Um, we're all together for eight months starting in spring training and, and, and going through September. And you need people around who have done that before. Um, and have been through the ups and downs of a Major League Baseball season. And certainly the guys you mentioned, starting with Aaron Hill and Luke and Ryan Braun and Chris Carter, uh, they've been through this before. They, they understand that you're going to go through good stretches and bad stretches. And um, regardless of how you're playing on any particular day, you need to remain even keeled and, and, and stay the course. And so uh, I certainly think those guys have helped us do just that. You have been able to find some really good veterans uh, in the relief pitching market as well. Blaine Boyer, Chris Capuano. And Carlos Torres is another guy that's really turned a corner and is pitching very well right now. How pleased have you been with those acquisitions? I think our entire bullpen over yeah. the last two, three weeks has been outstanding. We got off to a little bit of a, of a rough start. Um, and that's natural when you have some uh, injuries at the end of spring training right. and guys are adjusting to new roles. And we brought in Carlos Torres right at the end of camp. Um, and, and he's all of a sudden become a, an important part of our pen. And certainly Blaine and, and Chris Capuano similarly have performed well. So pleased with how that group has gelled. Um, Lee Tunnel does a great job down there getting those guys prepared every single day, knowing their matchups, knowing what their role is going to be that day. And it's been a uh, it's been fun to watch. I think when when we go into 
go into games uh, late in the game with, with a lead or close, we feel like we've got a really good chance to win because those guys are going to keep it right there. One of the great accomplishments early on for you, David, has been the way you've been able to really energize this farm system. And any of the publications that you read out there all have the Brewers making a huge jump from last year to this year in terms of where they're at in overall talent in the pipeline coming up through the system. So I'm sure you're talking to Tom Flanagan and the rest of that group a lot, getting reports from Biloxi, from Colorado Springs, from Brevard County, from Wisconsin and, and extended spring training and pretty soon Helena, yep. figuring out, okay, where are these guys at? What's their best path moving forward? Is, is that a daily thing where you try to figure out what's going to be best for this guy? He's, he's turned the corner. He's playing really well over the last three weeks. Do we move him up? Do we let him settle in and enjoy the success? Yeah, we, we, uh, Tom and I talk daily, sometimes multiple times a day, to, to make sure that we're both on the same page in terms of what's going on with our farm system. And Tom does an outstanding job uh, reaching out to our clubs on a daily basis, make sure he's in constant communication with our coordinators and our managers so that we have a, a really good feel for what's going on with, with our players. And we have a, a plan mapped out for every single one of our minor league players, and that includes uh, developmental goals, uh, what they need to work on, what their strengths are, um, and ultimately um, what we'd like their progression through our minor league system to be. And, and we're, we do our best to stay disciplined to that plan. Mm -hmm. Certainly there are times where uh, a player's performance, either positively or negatively, is, is going to force you to alter that. Um, and so we try to be, we try to stay flexible enough to make adjustments. But um, when you're managing a group of 180 players uh, like Tom does on a daily basis, um, you, you need to have that plan. You need to have that discipline. Uh, and so far, uh, I've been very pleased with that, with how the farm system has performed. Let's talk about some of the prospects specifically, and let's start with Orlando Arcia, who's really having a good year in Colorado yeah. Springs. I had a chance to go see him a couple of weeks ago. He's an excitable player. He plays with a lot of energy. He cares a lot. Uh, he, he's just a, a tremendously gifted player in the field, but it seems like offensively he's just getting more and more comfortable with each at-bat. And that happens a lot with, with younger players. I mean, Orlando's still only 21 years yeah. old, and we forget because he's such an advanced player for his age, but he's 21 years old in, in AAA right now. Um, and he is. He, he's continuing to be, have a more refined approach at the plate. Um, he's recognizing off-speed pitches better. And that's, that's something we really need to see because we know that uh, when he gets up here, everyone has a scouting report. Um, there's a book on everyone very quickly at the major league level, and so he's going to need to be able to make adjustments uh, and understand what pitchers are trying to do to him. And, and the results so far in, in AAA have been encouraging. Um, he's a guy who's, who's always had uh, the, the gold glove defensive ability. Um, and so that comes naturally to him. The offensive part of the game he's had to work on. Uh, he's had to remain motivated and, and consistent in his daily preparation, and, and it's been fun to watch him grow. You know, everybody wants to be good up the middle in baseball. That's a pretty common term. And a lot of the moves that you made at the lower levels with prospects were guys up the middle. And, and, and certainly, uh, this organization seems to be set very well moving forward at the middle infield spot specifically. We just talked about Orlando Arcia being one of those, but Isan Diaz, a guy that was in the, the Aaron Hill and Chase Anderson trade as well. Uh, has done some good things this year and shown some great ability. That position in particular, shortstop, second base, you feel pretty good about? We do. We, we feel as though we have a, a number of options throughout our system uh, who are going to be competitive major league players up the middle. And the wonderful thing about um, acquiring and developing up the middle players, whether it's shortstop, second base, center fielders, yeah. is that they're generally very good athletes. Um, and, and when you have someone who's that athletic, they also have the ability to play other positions. And so as these guys begin to come up through the system, 
if we do one day have a bottleneck at shortstop, um, that's not a bad thing. That means yeah. that we've got some really talented athletes in our organization who, who can likely transition to other positions as well, and we'll certainly take that depth. When you look at uh, AA Biloxi, you have some big prospects there. Obviously, Brett Phillips has uh, made some news this week with a huge week with a three, yep. three home run night earlier this week. And he's, he's a fun guy. I mean, he's a guy that the fans are going to love when he eventually gets to Milwaukee yep. as well. You have a, a great catching prospect in Jacob Nottingham who seems to be swinging it better after a tough start. You know, that group in particular seems to have some guys that, that are on a very good track right now. I, I think so. That, that's an exciting group. That's probably one of the, the best prospect teams in all of baseball uh, from, a, from a minor league perspective. And um, they've done what we had hoped they would do um, coming into the season. They're playing very well. Um, Brett obviously has demonstrated uh, some meaningful power earlier in the year. Um, Jacob is catching very well um, and, and the offensive game is beginning to pick up and, and that pitching staff as a whole has performed, uh, has performed very well also. So uh, certainly pleased with, with how that team is performing. Um, it's a good team in general and, and, uh, and looking forward to those guys continuing to grow, develop and, and ultimately get here to Miller Park. Philosophically, the jump from double-A AA to triple-A is always a tough jump for everybody because all of a sudden you're seeing guys that have, that have had Major League Baseball service yep. time. They, they know how to get Major League hitters out or vice versa. They know how to hit a Major League pitcher. And so that can be a tough jump. And, of course, Colorado Springs can be a tough environment for a pitcher. So philosophically, how challenging is that sometimes? When you look at a guy like Josh Hader, do you yep. say, okay, do we want to move him up to triple-A or do we want to leave him in double-A for the whole year? let him get comfortable, and then see if he can be one of those guys that makes that jump over AAA. I know you don't want to totally tip your hand on mm -hmm. some of that stuff, but how challenging is that part of it? You know, a guy like Jorge Lopez, who yep. had a better start the last time out at AAA, how do you guys manage that part of it from a pitching standpoint? It, it, it's always a balance, and we have to recognize the developmental environments that each of our affiliates has, and certainly Colorado Springs, um, just because of the altitude and yeah. the dimensions and the wind, um, can be a challenging place for, for pitchers to pitch. Uh, at the same time, um, we can't just not develop pitchers yeah. there. Um, that has to be a part of our, our developmental apparatus, and um, we have to be comfortable with that. So at, at, as we go through um, the season, I, we're probably going to evaluate each individual pitcher differently. Yeah. How will this guy fare in Colorado Springs? Do we think this is a productive step, or would we be better off leaving him in, in uh in Biloxi for, for a longer stint. And uh, we will really try to make those um, decisions on an individualized basis, uh, but also understanding that we do have a AAA affiliate in Colorado Springs. Um, we can't ignore that. That's an important developmental step, and we need to make use of that. And that's a good group that has a lot of veterans in it, too. So yep. you have a good blend there also, which is nice for some of those younger players. Uh, one other prospect we'd be remiss to not talk about is Jay Gatewood, who is just playing phenomenal Absolutely. baseball right now in Wisconsin, had another multi-home run night. Last night was the Midwest League Player of the Week this past week. That has to be very exciting to see him doing what he's doing. It is. He came into spring training, had, had an outstanding camp on the minor league side, um, was one of the talk, talks of camp from that perspective. Went to Wisconsin, and, and the weather in Wisconsin, as we all know, uh, can, can, be, uh, can be a little tough in April. Yeah. Um, got off to a slow start and, and, and has really turned it on and beginning to mature as a hitter and, and a player in general. David Stearns is with us. This is Brewers on Tap TV, our monthly sit-down with the general manager. A couple quick questions about the big league club. Yep. Uh, this, this team, the starting pitching, starting to kind of come around a little bit. We've seen some better starts over the last week or so. How important was it to stay patient with some of these guys and let them settle in? It's all part of the process, and, and patience is going to have to be 
um, part of our, our, our natural um, philosophy here right. uh, in terms of how we evaluate our players. Uh, we, we, we can't get into a situation where we're judging guys off of two or three starts. Um, we have confidence in our pitchers. We have confidence in our coaching staff. And um, we knew that at some point it would turn around. I, I still think we have, we have steps to take um, with our starting staff. We'd still like to see them uh, as a whole go a little bit deeper into games. But um, they've stabilized. They're keeping us in ball games. Uh, they're giving us a chance to win. And, and that's certainly a good step. We mentioned Chris Carter earlier, and he is flourishing right now in a Brewer uniform. You've been with him and around him quite a bit. What do you see that's the biggest difference for him? Is, he, is it just that he's using more of the field than he used to? Certainly the, the, the ability to use the entire field has always been part of Chris's game. Um, it, it looks like he's more comfortable going to right field this year than perhaps he has in the past. Uh, the plate coverage has improved this year uh, as a whole because of that, because he's able to, to cover the outer half of the plate on a more consistent basis. But um, he's certainly been in a groove uh, throughout the first couple months here. Looking forward to watching it continue because he's got as about as easy a power uh, swing as you could possibly have in this game. And another guy that uh, you're familiar with that has had a big impact this year has been Jonathan VR at the mm -hmm. shortstop position, not just with his glove in the field, but his versatility offensively. I mean, he's a switch hitter, and he has really given a lot of other teams trouble with his speed. I mean, he's a National League leader in stolen bases right now. Yeah, Jonathan's a, a very talented player, and um, as an industry, sometimes when guys have been in the big leagues and up and down for a couple of years, you, you forget how talented they are. And in Jonathan's case, I think we forgot how young he was. He broke yeah. into the major leagues at 21 years old, which is not easy to do. He was a big prospect in the Astros system. And like a lot of prospects, um, had, had his bumps in the major leagues and had to go up and down a couple of times. Um, but it looks like he's, he's finally uh, getting to the point where he's comfortable here. Um, he certainly played a, a very solid shortstop throughout uh, much of, of the first couple uh, months here. And um, what he's doing offensively has, has really sparked our offense. So very pleased with his play at shortstop and, and, uh, and certainly believe that it can continue. All right, last question, because I know fans are always curious about this. And we have the general manager here, so why not ask it? The anatomy of a trade. How, yep. how does one typically begin? You know, how much time do you have to think things through? Who are you yep. consulting in those situations? Uh, I'm sure everyone is unique into itself, but you know, when that first phone call is made, what usually sparks it? It's generally, uh, we're, general managers are always in, in contact with one another. Um, sometimes it's about specific trades. Sometimes it's just uh, to discuss each other's teams and, and see what other guys are thinking. And, and generally a trade will just come up from one of those conversations. You, you hear that another team needs a certain type of player and you think you may have a surplus or, uh, or vice versa. And, and that's generally how trade discussions begin. Um, someone throws out an idea and you go to work and you begin to do, uh, do your homework and, and see if it might make sense. And uh, there's always a ton of back and forth with trades. I've had trades that have come together in, in literally uh, probably an hour and a half. And then I've had trades that have taken uh, three or four months to, to be consummated, uh, even in my short time here so far. So um, there's no one set pattern, but uh, an open open line of communication, open dialogue, uh, open-mindedness, I think, on both sides generally leads to productive trade conversations. David, we appreciate it. Thanks so my much pleasure. for giving us some Thanks, time. Lane. Absolutely. David Stearns, the general manager of the Milwaukee Brewers, with us here on Brewers on Tap TV. This week on Sabermetrics 101, we look at left on base percentage, and this is a statistic specifically used to measure the effectiveness of relief pitchers coming into high leverage situations, maybe runners at second and third, maybe the base is loaded. 
you get the point. And it really is something that tells you how good or effective they are at getting out of those types of situations. And it's as simple as it sounds. It's the left on base percentage. So what they inherit and what they leave on base. And it's calculated by hits plus walks plus hit batters minus runs divided by hits plus walks plus hit batters minus 1.4 times home run. Um, most pitchers have a left on base percentage around the league average, and that's about 70 to 72 percent, depending on the season. The one thing that sometimes can affect, in a positive way, left on base percentage is guys that have high strikeout numbers because they're going to be able to get outs without having the ball put in play. So less runners are actually going to score, which is one way to positively impact your left on base percentage. This is, again, a statistic you should use in conjunction with other statistics like BABIP, batting average balls in play, and home run slash fly ball. It's possible to throw all these together and get an idea of just how effective a pitcher may be, and it's something that can shed some more light beyond just the ERA. Checking in on the farm. As we check in on the farm, we start in AAA Colorado Springs where the Sky Sox are playing some phenomenal baseball right now. Through Monday's games, they were 17-18 and 18 and winners of five in a row and getting great play, continuing to get great play out of Orlando Arcia, who's on a nine-game hitting streak, batting 317 during that stretch. He just received his Rawlings Gold Glove for his play last year in Double A Biloxi. He continues to be one of the top prospects in all of baseball. Also playing really well for Colorado Springs is center fielder Keon Broxton. He's reached base in 14 straight games. He owns a 4.33 on base percentage in that span, and he's batting 3.01 and has an organizational leading seven home runs in 25 games at Triple A. Also, some cool fireworks this week. They played an 18-inning game and also had a game in which Tim Dillard, who's one of the funniest men in baseball, collected the win but also helped his own cause. Dillard swings, hits a deep to left field. Galloway going back. This ball is at the wall. It is out of here. Are you kidding me? A two-run home run for Tim Dillard, and it's 9-5 to Sky Sox here in the fifth. That is Dan Karcher, the voice of the Sky Sox, on the call. In A Biloxi, the Shuckers continue to lead the South Division in the Southern League by half a game through Monday's games. 22-15, and 15, one of the best teams in all of minor league baseball. And Josh Hader continues to be incredible. The left-hander started and tossed six scoreless innings on Monday night, allowed four hits, a walk, and eight strikeouts. He continues to turn heads. They also recently called up Brandon Woodruff, a right-hander who had been tearing it up at High A Brevard County. So it'll be interesting to watch Woodruff over the course of the next few weeks as he makes his first few starts for the Shuckers. Also, first baseman Garrett Cooper is really doing some good things for the Shuckers. He collected one of Bloxy's two hits on Monday. He was one for fourth a double. He's batting 308 on the year. And in 15 games this month, he owns a 356-408-556 slash line with nine doubles. High A Brevard County is playing much better baseball recently as they sit at 13-25 and 25 and 12 games back. But this is a team that opened up 3-17. and 17. So they're playing much better recently. And they're getting great play out of their center fielder, Johnny Davis. He was 2-4 for four on Monday, two runs, a walk, a stolen base. 
He continues to really do some good things. He's hitting 299 on the season, seven extra base hits, 12 steals. He feels like he's going to get on and steal a base every time. I had a chance to talk to him down in Brevard County this week, and he is a special player. He's 26 years old and doing some very nice stuff for the Manatees. They're also getting some good pitching. As we told you, Brandon Woodruff was just called up, but Bubba Derby continues to pitch well for the Manatees. They sit at 13 and 25. The Timber Rattlers were able to win one of their games in walk-off fashion this week. Bottom 10, tied at 5. Two on, two out. Winning run at second for Isan Diaz. The 1-2 pitch. Diaz, little flare, center field, base hit. Bologna's around third. Here comes the throw. It is late, and the Rattlers win. That was Chris Merring on the call. The Wisconsin Timber Rattlers uh, had the day off on Monday, but they sit at 17-20 on the season. And it's been a fun transition for Trent Clark, who is getting his taste of Class A ball up in Appleton. The first-round draft pick from 2015 has reached base safely in all seven games with the Timber Rattlers so far this year. He's batting 261 of six runs, four doubles, and get this, 11 walks in seven games for Trent Clark. So that's a very good sign, obviously, for Clark and the Timber Rattlers as they continue to play with some of those great prospects like Jake Gatewood, Monte Harrison, and others. They recently lost John Perrin. He's been called up to High A Brevard County, and he started on Monday night for the Manatees. Uh, his second start with the Manatees, he struggled. He only went uh, four innings, gave up four runs, six hits, and four walks with three strikeouts. A guy that really wasn't walking anybody at Class A, but a little bit different jump to High A, and so hopefully Perrin will be able to make that transition quickly as well for the Manatees. That is us checking in on the farm. Here's what's on tap with the Brewers. Well, once again this summer, the Brewers have teamed up with popular attractions around the city to help you enjoy all that Wisconsin summer has to offer. We're all ready for Wisconsin summer, right? For one low price, you get to enjoy Brewers baseball and some of your favorite Milwaukee traditions, Summerfest, the Milwaukee County Zoo, and the Wisconsin State Fair. Uh, here's what we have for you. Rock the Ballpark Ticket Package. Brewers Ticket plus a Summerfest Ticket for just $24. Brew Crew and the Zoo Ticket Package. Brewers Ticket plus Milwaukee County Zoo Ticket plus Brew Crew and the Zoo Lunch Cooler for just $20. Fair Days Double Play. Brewers Ticket plus Wisconsin State Fair Ticket for just $15. These are all pretty cool offers, obviously. And if you want to learn more about the Brewers Summer Ticket Package, just call 414-902-4000 or visit brewers.com slash fan values. And that's going to do it for me this week on Brewers on Tap. Again, thanks for listening, and our thanks to our special guest, David Stearns. Plenty more next week on the podcast. Please tune us in. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is wasabi technology wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams including 20 major league baseball teams like the red Sox and nhl teams like the bruins and vancouver canucks even the liverpool football club is getting in on wasabi action so why is wasabi the mvp well wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the amazon 
into the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team.